What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of FilmmakerU.com, and I'm your host Gordon Burkell. Each week, we bring you an interview with a film professional to explore the craft of filmmaking, and of course, this week is no different. I'm going to be interviewing Leslie Cavanaugh, the costume designer for The Handmaid's Tale. Now, we talk about her inspiration for some of the looks and explore how she created things through her drawings. Now, if you want to see these drawings, we also did this interview via video, and we posted that on our YouTube page. So just go to YouTube and search for Filmmaker U. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure to check out FilmmakerU.com's courses where we bring you the best in the industry to discuss the craft and show you some of their secrets. These industry experts include Eric Whip, colorist for Mad Max Fury Road, three-time Oscar winner and VFX supervisor Rob Ogato, among many others. You can use the promo code THECUTTINGROOM, all one word, THECUTTINGROOM, to get 10% off. Now, with all that said, let's hear what Leslie has to say about The Handmaid's Tale. I guess my first question is, how did you get involved with with Handmaids? With The Handmaids specifically, I just, I think that, I think the connection was I had finished on the television series Clarice, and there was a producer that was on that show that's involved with Handmaids. So I'm pretty sure that that was the connection. Okay, so you came on in in season five, and we have some uh, images from your work. And I was wondering if you could just take us through your designing process uh, with them or or explain what you were thinking when you're designing them. Yeah, Uh, let's do it. So this season, season five, it's the first time that a new color classification has been introduced into the world of Gilead. And they are known as the plums. And the plums are the daughters of prominent commanders and their wives in Gilead. And a new finishing type school for you know, wives in training has been established and that's what the color denotes. However, the introduction of them was in the funeral episode in the, it takes place in the episode two, which is actually called the ballet, but they are at the funeral in Gilead. And the idea was to come up with a look that, you know, is brand new that no one's seen that makes people question what is this we are just introducing them there without really giving very much background information and hannah who is the daughter of luke and june they are watching this on the jumbotron in toronto the funeral and so they see it's their daughter and it becomes a whole thing about what does this color mean why is she wearing that we've never seen that before so it becomes a questioning thing for a couple of episodes until it sort of explained that the color denotes these wife finishing schools for wives and training for the young daughters and of course these are some sketch ideas i had been going through for different shapes and silhouettes and ideas to you know essentially start the design conversation Elizabeth Moss the star and lead of the show she's also a producer she directed this episode so these were things that I would be going over with her and talking her about you know do we like it longer shorter more full you know all these different ideas of what the wife look well excuse me the plums look for the wife in training school look be now can I ask you because you know I've heard Margaret Atwood speak several times about writing the books And one of the key things, she spent a long time at the Toronto Reference Library researching different histories of different cultures. And and one of the things she always says is that all these rules, all these things come from somewhere in history. So like, 
it is something that's happened in some capacity. So yeah. when you're doing research for something like these looks, are you pulling from particular history or is there a particular reference that you're going with uh, for this? So for all the different looks this season, there I try to stay true, I guess, to the original idea and I guess boundaries that were established in the first and second season. And Crabtree was the costume designer and was a very big part and very instrumental, obviously, of creating these iconic looks that everyone's very familiar with now. And so coming in season five, for me, it was wanting to obviously stay within a certain realm of that, but also push it a bit because that is what season five is about for Gilead. It's that they are putting their nation on show for the whole world to see. And they're trying to show that they're not stagnant, that they really believe in this great nation that they have and that they want people to also embrace it and, and view it. I think the way that they all like the, you know, the people that live there, see it. And so there had always been a very slight 1950s undertone to many things for the wives originally. And that was where my initial look for the plums was steeped in that. I did a sort of take on a 1950s swing coat that the young girls are wearing when we first see them. And there's a few practical reasons for that as well. These girls are, you know, in the show, they're like 10 to 14 years old, somewhere in that, or 12 to 14 years old, somewhere in that range, because they're a little bit prepubescent. They're just getting on the, you know, in Gilead world, be almost ready to bear children and become a good, dutiful wife, if you will. And so I played with that for the fact that I didn't want them in a cloak because that's what the wives are wearing. So I wanted it to be training wheels, if you know what I mean, like that they're not quite there yet, but they're on their way so that everything is they've got their gloves, their hat, their matching stockings and boots. Everything is, you know, tight, like in a look like we've seen all the wives up till now, but then still have a little bit of youthful innocence to it. The casting that they did for these girls was great. They do a couple of close-up scenes where they go over all the young girls' faces and you can see it. So it's just amazing the, the way that they all look. And I was really happy with the final look for the costume because I really feel like it married all the things that I wanted it to do to showcase it at that funeral scene. There's a lot of scenes with a lot of people in it. So how do you stay on top of keeping everyone oh my gosh. organized and looking good? A lot of coffee. No, um, it was. Well, it is. It's a sort of Tetris game of how do you making sure you've got all the lists and everything going. When we shot this whole episode, the ballet episodes, which was number two in the in the series of episodes of season five. On the side of the ballet where we see Lizzie um, playing June Osborne and her husband Luke in the in the show, and then the funeral, the numbers, the sheer number of background that were involved, it was the biggest undertaking that the show and all the seasons had ever taken. And of course, when you're in Gilead, it is a head to toe look for everybody because what's been you know set up in the series. So it was definitely a lot of charts and lists and checking and double checking and making sure that we had everything, the the start, the middle and the end process of how we make sure and just having a really great solid team. I had a fantastic team behind me this season that were really, uh, you know, only make me look better all the time. And um, we just were really, really, I think, 
for me, I just had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do and the numbers. And I worked really closely, you know, with Elizabeth Williams, our production designer, in talking about the sheer magnitude of what her world was going to be and how does my world fit into that world. So making sure that we were always cross-referencing everything. Having Elizabeth Moss as the director and the star and, you know, producer of the show, she knows it inside and out. So having her as a great resource and reference at the drop of a, you know, all I have to do is give her a quick text or walk up to her office. That was also very instrumental for me to be able to stay, I guess, on target and and know what I was going to do and how to execute it. I want to ask, you know, what we've been seeing happen in the States uh, can be very unsettling for a lot of people. Is that something you take into account, like the real world politics that are currently happening? Does that influence you in any way when you're designing or do you try to block that out? To be really honest, for this specific show, I did not. It's very troubling. And I know that there's a lot of parallels and people see a lot of parallels in between our show, what the message is and what is happening out there. I don't know that what I was doing from a visual storytelling point, I guess, was significant enough to have an impact on real world politics. I would never want to imply that I had any sort of agenda there because I didn't it was just trying to expand on the world that had already been set in motion from season one up till now and create new character development of where people are in their journey in season five at this point now what would you say are some of the challenges you faced in terms of picking up where uh, the previous costume designer left off Well, to be really fair, season five was a really interesting uh, time to come on as a designer for a show that's already well in, you know, into its seasons because of the storyline. The storyline now focuses on June in, you know, the free world of Toronto. So I really got to create what her character is now. We've seen her in flashbacks in previous seasons. And of course, everyone knows her in her iconic red handmaid's outfit, but no one has seen what June is looking like now in her journey in that she's finally out of Gilead. She's starting to process all of her trauma in a different way than, you know, in Gilead, she's just surviving and it's going from one situation to another to get by and to get through and to try to find Hannah and just live another day. Whereas in Toronto, she doesn't have to necessarily look over her back every five minutes. And while June is still working that out for herself, because she's you know, anyone that has suffered trauma like that would, it's not like you just blink your eye and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in a more safe place, living with Luke and Moira, having a different support system, even Rita's out now and Reed's been out. So she does have a lot of different influences around her to help her, I guess, address that and try to move forward and work through things. And so it was creating a new character, essentially, of who is June Osborne now. And also we got to do that with Luke and Moira and Rita, Serena, obviously Serena joy this season. She's got one foot in Gilead and one foot in Toronto. So what was that like introducing the wheelers? There was a lot of really, really interesting and obviously for a costume designer, fun and exciting characters to introduce and be able to develop. And so season five, I'm not sure that I had to really pick up necessarily from exactly where season four left off. But I would say that um, most of my influence really did come more from Anne Crabtree's original vision. And how did I expand on that in terms of, 
um, staying within those confines, but pushing the boundaries so that I could also put my own stamp on season five. Do you get into the the psychology when you're designing and think like, okay, well, she spent X amount of years not being able to choose what she wears. And all of a sudden she's in this new world where like, you know, you're not going to wake up and wear the same thing every day. So like, it, does that go into your your thought process when you're creating this? Like, or, or are you trying to give her a new look specific to Toronto? It definitely goes into that. So we talked, you know, we did talk about this. She's a refugee. Where does she get these clothes? Where are they coming from? You know, I also have to look scripturally, like what's happening. So I have things that are obviously important to the story of that episode. And for practical reasons too, you know, we do shoot in Toronto and surrounding area in the winter. So we have to make sure she is warm. But the kind of fun part about you know, making a television series is not every single choice does have to get answered. We stayed within, I do a lot of layering for her this season so that she can peel stuff off and put it back on so that the audience is introduced to these pieces. Mm -hmm. So that when they see like in one scene, she's maybe got her coat with a hoodie and a t-shirt and jeans, but then we see her later, she's just in the t-shirt and jeans. It does, it's not new pieces necessarily for that outfit or that script day. It's just that she's peeled layers off or she's added layers on. So we definitely did a lot of playing with that. Um, and also, uh, you know, some things we just had a little bit of fun with, and we also could sort of take a little bit of uh, Liberty saying like, well, maybe this was in Moira's cloth, or maybe this was a jacket from Moira, you know, in, epi- in the first episode in 501 of this season, the storyline takes place direct continuity, meaning directly right where episode 410 left off. So we see her in the same black outfit that uh, Deborah, the, the designer from season four did, but then we lost the red coat that she had on and the coat that I put her in it, we played it that when she's leaving, she's sort of in a state of confusion and euphoria and elation of after everything that she's done from killing Fred. And she just goes to the back door and picks up a coat. And so we purposely made it look like it was one of Luke's coats. It's oversized on her. Luke is, was, you know, in the, in the storyline, it was always in a, in the construction side of things as a foreman. So it was had like, it was sort of had a Carhartt feel, although it wasn't actually a Carhartt. Um, we just sort of played with that. And that's what she's seen in that. So we do try to sometimes purposely stage a few things in the set so that when she goes to grab it, it's, you know, for all those Eagle Eye fans, it's not, um, it's not like always, where did she get this? I mean, there is a little bit of that, I mean, it is, it is TV after all. So, but, uh, but I do try to be, you know, do think about the purpose, like what's the purpose of this outfit? Because I do think June, you know, she's a warrior, she's a mother, she's a wife, she's a friend, she's a survivor, but she's fierce and she's unafraid. So like, I wanted to always, you know, I feel like she has purpose and when she puts things on because she's had to in all of this, all of her traumas sort of inform who she is now Mm -hmm. and making sure she always had pockets and things to hide places and that her footwear is practical. Like, so I do play around with little bits like that for sure. With pockets, do you have hidden pockets inside? Because my daughter just discovered a hidden pocket in one of her Jacksons and lost her mind. <laughs> like she just, she's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's hiding stuff in there. 
Yeah, any woman will tell you out of pocket anything and it yeah. elevates that outfit for sure. Uh, some of the stuff does have hidden pockets. Some stuff we have, you know, we actually built we build some pockets into her stuff. It's also to help hide the Mac, like the microphone pack that she has to wear. So it can it's it's double. It's it can be used as a pocket or it can be used as a microphone holder. So. <laughs> Now, and I also do want to say, I do appreciate, I don't know if you remember, because did you grow up in Toronto the whole, your whole life or did you come from another city? I, my father was in the military, so I've kind of grown up all over. Okay. Because the CanCon in the 80s, every time they did something in Toronto, it would always be the person was wearing either a Toronto Blue Jays hat or a Toronto Maple Leafs hat. <laughs> it drove me nuts. So I'm, you know, I appreciate that you haven't snuck in a Toronto sports team hat yet. <laughs> No, Elizabeth Moss would kill me. She's a big Cubs fan. So oh, really? uh, <laughs> now, now you've got it. Now you've got to try and just be like, and hey, we've got some ideas. Here's the 80s Jays. Here's the 90s Jays. <laughs> 80s Jays. Hey, 80s Jays were cool, man. Yeah. Their gear was, their gear was pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe that's why they were sneaking it in. Uh, <laughs> is there a particular cost? Uh, I don't want to see it's weird. I don't want to call them costumes because I almost feel like that devalues the work in a weird way. It feels like you're talking about Halloween costumes, whereas like this, it's like, like showing, looking at those photos that like I brought up earlier, like that's like a really, that's not a costume to me. Is there a particular piece of clothing or design that you did this year or the season that you was really difficult to execute, but you're really pleased with the outcome? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, they all, you know, all the things that I have designed and they are costumes. They're for, they're on camera costumes that, you know, I, I think that, um, or creations, um, yeah. you know, uh, they all pose a challenge in a different way and they all bring me joy in a different way, if that makes sense. Uh, obviously the Serena funeral outfit for me was magical. I thought it was beautiful and eerie and gorgeous and stunning yet scary and intimidating. I loved what that costume was. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, the ballet in the, in the episode, the ballet, this like episode two, the ballet dancing outfit was actually interesting for me too, because it was an underwater theme that the production designer, Elizabeth Williams was designing for the stage. And it was playing around with a lot of different ideas of, what is the dancer is, you know, I played around with different tones and fabrics. Like, is she a piece of seaweed floating? You know, was she a piece of coral? Like I, I was playing around with a lot of different colors and ideas and trying to get the perfect thing that would really convey that um, theme and also have real presence. Cause she's a solo dancer. When we had got the script and the, and the, and the treatment for that, it was originally a bigger ballet. They were, that was going to be like, you know, a big one. And, upon discussion and Elizabeth Moss's vision and ended up whittling down to one dancer because it was more serene and beautiful and for intercutting it between the ballet and the funeral. Then, so originally, like my original vision was a little bit something different because I thought we we're going to have all these other support dancers and then it wasn't that. And so even though the, the dancer's costume is quite simple in aesthetic to someone that wasn't involved in the process, getting to that process and making sure that it had all the elements for having really flowy skirt. I found this really amazing metallic sort of finish on some silk chiffon. So it looks liquidy and it's underneath the layer so that when she moves, you get hints and glow. So it looks kind of like she's fluid. So trying to find all of those things, that was, a, I guess that was a little bit challenging. It turned out really, really pretty. 
I don't know. I'm really, I have to just say, like, I know that sounds so like, I don't know, whatever. It sounds something. I'm not sure what the word is, but they're all your favorite. Really (laughs) happy with all of the looks this season. I was really happy with all the character looks and that I really feel that we were really starting to find each character better and really being able to hone in on that and define them a little bit more. And all of Elizabeth Moss's looks as June, all of Serena. I mean, doing Gilead is so great. I love really doing the Naomi Putnam character. She was really, you know, she's really fun to do. And her wedding dress to to Commander Lawrence was a lot of fun. I don't know. I, I love them all. I don't know. Is that That's terrible to say, I guess, but I do. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you also put all the work in, so I think you have a right to. Um, now, I so before COVID, um, I used to go to the Shaw Festival a lot. And there is you could sign up for these like private tours. So it'd be like behind the stages behind that. And we went on one in the costume department, essentially for the whole festival. And one of the things they do is they tend to, I guess they, I don't know if it's, they lease them or they borrow them, but it'll be like historically accurate military uniforms or historically accurate dresses from a particular collection. Um, Is that something you would do for a show like this? Like, Oh, this is a dress from, this collection that we borrowed for a scene or is that is that just historical it, really, it doesn't happen in handmaids not because um it's just the nature of the series we've developed all we built all of our own uniforms for, like everything in gilead is custom built and designed and so it's specific to that world but in other things i've done in my in my career for sure you there's a lot of amazing rental places around the world here in toronto yeah. i did a show where we rented a lot of stuff from stratford because the time period that we were doing um, the other thing too is people do knock that stuff off if you have a big show and you have to dress a lot of background or you need you know many outfits for a lead actor you will just go into history and go into researching that era whatever it might be and then you would build it you would find the fabrics or have them sort of you know trying to do world war one and world war two it's tricky because the fabric that kind of wool isn't around anymore so you would yeah. get you're dyeing it and trying to make it but there's a lot of amazing amazing places like shaw like stratford you know uh torelli in italy you know corneo in spain angels in london there's all different amazing rental houses all around the world that people you know do rent and and do period things or they construct it themselves i have to say because when i was there they were like oh this is from world war ii and i'm like I'm a much bigger person than I thought I was because all the costumes are like tiny. <laughs> that is it. If you go it's, into historical stuff, a lot of people were shorter, which is interesting. Okay. Interesting. They, they, and people that. didn't live as long, right? People didn't live as long as we are now. And so they are. And all. And if you think historically into the wars, like World War One, World War Two, and all this, they it was young, like young yeah, men, was like 17, 16 to 19, 17 yeah. going to war. So, which is, you know, you look at that now because, of course, today is Remembrance Day. Yeah. So it's really yeah. important to, I think, you know, remember that it was young men that were and older boys really going to battle like it's crazy absolutely crazy now i have one last question for you and i like to ask this of everyone i interview what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure tv show or film to watch so i have two i have two i have two so i'm a really big interesting again i know it's remember say but i'm a really big war movie buff like i love Mm -hmm. war movies and Black Hawk Down is one of my favorite movies that I love to watch over and over and over. And I can still, but I'm also a huge Star Wars fan. So I know the worlds are completely <laughs> um, miles apart there, but um, anything from the Star Wars, uh, you know, movies, I can also just 
watch over and over, but new hope really is yeah. kind of my favorite. I can't remember the name of it. I've got to remember this because I've told several people about this, but there's a um, from Holland. It's a Netherlands film about world war two. And it's all about, uh, it's based on a true story about because the Canadians came in and liberated. Yeah. And so there was a group of uh, Netherlanders or Hollanders who discovered that the Germans were coming up at, at a different area and were going to attack and yeah. so it's about them trying to get the knowledge to the Canadians before yep. the Canadians advance. Uh, and that is a phenomenal film, especially if you're into costumes, because it's all 1945. I actually think I've seen this. Like, there's yeah. not too many that I haven't seen. And now the name escapes me, but I do think I have seen this. Yeah. 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 yeah it's great. Great film. Well, it's so few that we see about Canada. So <laughs> I know that's like in in sort of my dream world. Um, my father was in the Canadian Armed Forces, and my brother is a veteran. He was in the Canadian Armed Forces as well. And I, one day, I maybe will try. I've never done it before, but I, I would love to make a documentary on Canadian soldiers. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Their contributions yeah. because we 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 really do and have contributed so much and. Yeah. I think we're a little less known for that. Well, we are, you know, sitting next to, the, you know, the elephant in the room, I guess, the biggest militaries and, you know, they played a big part too. So it's, it's kind of hard to shine a light on us when they have Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Uh, listen, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and a real joy talking to you. So that was my interview with Leslie. I want to thank Leslie Kavanaugh for allowing me to interview her. I also want to remind you to use the promo code THECUTTINGROOM at FilmmakerU.com to get 10% off. That's all one word, The Cutting Room. Now, this wouldn't be possible without the amazing team behind me. There's our producer, Jason Banke, and of course, our sound editor and mixer, Evan Winch. I'm Gordon Bacall. Thanks for listening.